Come and worship. Blessed be your name, Lord. Let's just praise him this morning. This morning. Thank you. Be seated, please. Good morning, Brinesburg. Good to see that several of you were able to float in this morning. And uh, it has been a messy weekend, but we're excited to be together for one purpose, for one reason, and that is to worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. And so uh, it may be a messy day, but we have a reason to be together and a reason for excitement 
this morning. For those of you that are with us through television and through Facebook Live today, I know there are several of you out there today. We want to welcome you. I'm Brother Brad Walker. I'm the pastor here at Brownsburg Baptist Church. We're so glad to have you with us. For those of you joining us there on Facebook Live, if you will, in the comment section, let us know you're there. Just give us your name. And if there's any prayer requests, any way we can reach out to you, we've got folks that are manning that, and they'd love uh, to interact with you this morning as well. For those of you, this may be your first opportunity to worship with us here at Brinesburg. We'd like to welcome you this morning as well. And you'll notice there in the pew in front of you, there's a card. If you'll take that out and fill it out, and you can place that in the offering plate that's sitting there on that big round table in the foyer as you're leaving. And we appreciate you doing that. It helps us know of your attendance and how we can minister to you and pray for you and your family this morning. Uh, a lot going on this week. One uh, thank you card, and this is from the family of Nito O'Keefe and the home going of her son. And it says, with, with gratitude uh, for all of you and for your thoughtfulness, thank you so much for the food and the cards, the texts, the messages, and, and most of all, for your prayers. My Brinesburg church family is very special, and I love you all. Many thanks. And that's from Nita O'Keefe and, and family. And I continue to pray for Nita and for their whole, and for their whole family during this uh, difficult season of life. And I know many of you uh, continue to go through um, difficult seasons of life right now. It's a hard time for us as a church family. Uh, continue to pray for the family of Brenda Hodges. Her funeral was yesterday, and we continue uh, to remember that family and, and many others today as well. Uh, this morning, several different announcements. I want you to uh, pay attention to many of those today. Uh, first of all, we do have a Brazil mission trip meeting following our service. We'll meet up in the choir room right after the service and uh, kind of catch, uh, catch up where we're at on the planning for that mission trip this summer. Also want to invite you to be a part of Nancy Culp's uh, birthday celebration. That'll be this afternoon from 1.30 to 3 o'clock over in the Activity Center. And uh, so looking forward to that time together. Um, also, uh, several different things starting back for our spring semester and a center shot and missions is one of those starting tonight during our six o'clock hour and then uh, of course our worship choir will begin back with their rehearsal times and that'll be this afternoon at 4 30 so a lot going on many other things that uh, pertain to you and to your family and want to mention those as well again thank you for your faithfulness in giving uh, so thankful for uh, just the sacrificial way that as a church family you continue to lead out uh, in, in our association and in our state uh, in, in your giving towards the international missions through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, thus far, we have given $11,114. And again, if you haven't given yet and you wanted to give, uh, feel free to continue to do that. Uh, but just thank you once again for, for your uh, sacrificial giving in that way. Uh, this morning, we do have, again, many on our prayer list and certainly want to remember uh, many of you out there, I know, are, would be with us if it weren't for uh, illness and if it weren't for hospital stays. And so we're glad that you can join us in this way this morning. Uh, but we will be praying for you and, and continue to pray for many of your family members and friends who I know are sick right now. Um, we we want to remember so many within our community that are still struggling after the aftermath of the tornadoes on December 10th. And uh, continue to look for opportunities to minister to those individuals and families as well. But most importantly, we want to continue to reach out to the lost around us. Even during this difficult season, uh, we have seen people who have come to know Christ. We've heard those reports, those testimonies of individuals that uh, even, even after losing everything physically here on this earth, basically everything gone, that they came to know Jesus 
from the outreach of, of Christian brothers and sisters. And so um, recognizing the Lord's given us an opportunity right now. He's given us an opportunity to share the amazing hope of the gospel, the answer to whatever life may throw at us, and that answer is Jesus. And so let's continue to look for those opportunities. And as I, as I told you last week, if you don't have a one right now, get someone on your heart. Uh, that you can be praying for and looking for those opportunities to have those gospel conversations. Whether you're a, a student, whether you're an adult that's still in the workforce, whether you're an entire, a retired individual uh, but still have an inter- impact with your neighbors and your family members, um, let's look for those individuals, that one that the Lord might use us to share the gospel with in the coming days. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for your great love for us. That even during the difficult seasons of life, Lord, that you give us more than just hope. You give us an assurance. Lord, that this is not all there is. That this is not as good as it gets. That, Lord, we truly are living as aliens and strangers in a strange land. And that our home is with you in heaven. But that you have given us an amazing commission. And that is to take this gospel message that you came for us. You came to rescue us and that you died on the cross to to pay our sin debt. And that you rose again on the third day. And that because of that, no matter what it is that we face in this life, that there is hope. And so, Lord, today I pray for each and every individual, several who aren't able to be with us this morning but but are watching today, that are are struggling health-wise today. Lord, I pray for them, and I pray that you would bring health and healing to their bodies. Lord, I pray for the multitude of families right now that are hurting because of the homegoing of loved ones. And Lord, that time of separation is an ache in their heart, even this morning. Lord, I pray for those that are recovering after the aftermath of the storms. And Lord, continue to give us opportunities to meet physical needs, emotional needs, but most important, the spiritual needs within their lives. Lord, lead us to those individuals that we can share the gospel with in the coming days. To your honor and to your glory. Lord, this time is yours. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
this morning as we come to this opening time of prayer here at the altar. I know that there are many individuals and many families this morning uh, that have a lot on their hearts, a lot of heaviness, a lot of burden. And the Lord has called on us that when we have those uh, heavy burdens in our lives, to lay them down, uh, to not try to carry them in our own strength and our own power because we can't, but to give them over to him and that he will carry them because uh, that's who he is. He, he's, the, he's the God who, who carries our burdens and who breaks our chains. So this morning, whatever the need may be on your heart, whether you're uh, at home, whether you're here, uh, wherever you're at, make that place an altar. This altar uh, here is open as well and Whatever the needs may be, let's lay them down at the foot of the cross. Give them over to the Lord and trust him with them today. So with every head bowed and with all eyes closed, the altar is open at this time. Let's come to him. Let's spend time in prayer before him today. come before you this morning we recognize that you know every pain every burden every concern on each and every heart today and Lord as we lift up all of these needs to you we are so thankful to know that no matter how big and insurmountable they may seem when we compare them to who you are and the awesomeness of your presence Lord they pale in comparison and Lord, that's not because what we're going through is insignificant, but it is because of how mighty that you are as our God. And so Lord, as we come before you today, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort. Lord, I pray that you would bring strength. I pray that you would bring answers to the hearts of all those who are here today. And whatever the needs they may bring to this place, whatever they may be, Lord, I, I pray that you would just meet every need. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the extent that you went to, to show us that love and, and, and to allow us to be able to even have a relationship with the Father. Lord, thank you for the sacrifices you were willing to make. Might all that is said and all that is done today bring honor and glory to your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and bless his name. Great old hymn says, blessed be the name of the Lord.
Brother Brad said, our church has been hit by a lot of loss lately, and so we were trying to figure out uh, what to sing this morning, and um, this song is about um, loved ones that have gone home, and uh, it's more than that, really. It's about, um, it's really an invitation uh, for us to get in a right, right relationship, to be with them someday, and for us to take our friends with us, so um, hopefully we can get through this. This is for our families and laws. If I only had known the last time would be the last time, I would have put off all the things I had to do. I would have stayed a little longer, held on a little tighter. Now what I'd give for one more day with you. Cause there's a wound here in my heart where something's missing. And they tell me that it's gonna heal with time. But I know you're in a place where all your wounds have been erased. And knowing yours are healed is healing mine. The only scars in heaven, they won't belong to me and you. There'll be no such thing as broken. And all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. I know the road you walked was anything but easy. You picked up your share of scars along the way. But 
now you're standing in the sun. You fought your fight and your race is run. The pain is all a million miles away. The only scars in heaven that won't belong to me and you. And there'll be no such thing as broken. And all the old be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven, yeah, are on the hands that hold you now. Not a day goes by that I don't see you. You live all in all the better parts of me. Till I'm standing with you in the sun. I'll fight this fight and this race I'll run. Till I finally I can see what you can see. Oh, the only scars in heaven. They won't belong to me and you. There'll be no such thing as broken. And all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall That the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. Thank you, Patrick and Hannah. Now I got to preach after that. Oh. This morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 as we continue this journey through Matthew's gospel account. Matthew chapter 4. This morning our, our focus is going to be on the temptation test. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for more than just a hope. Thank you for an assurance that you give us as we hurt and as we feel the pain of living in a fallen world where sin leads to sickness and, and death and separation. Lord, we are so thankful that you came and that you broke the curse and that you rescued us. And now we are promised in you, in a relationship with you, eternity but Lord right now in this life we still must deal with sin we must deal with what it means to live in a fallen world 
But Lord, you haven't left us alone in that either. And I'm so thankful that you have given us the pattern for how we can find victory in this life. Even in the midst of mounting temptation, Lord, that you have given us a way of escape. And Lord, you've shown us that by example. And Lord, that's what you're showing us this morning, and I'm so thankful for it. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart today. Lord, I know I'm a very weak vessel, and I pray that you might hide me behind the cross that only you be seen and only you be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As your pastor, I know that there are many struggles, uh, many things that as individuals and as families that we struggle with on a daily, on a weekly, on a, on a monthly, and, and really on a prolonged basis. There are, there are many struggles uh, that we face. And one of the refrains that I hear over and over again from individuals is, I know that I'm not as strong of a Christian as I ought to be, or I wouldn't be struggling with this issue. I wouldn't still be struggling in this area. And those struggles can take on a variety of forms. Uh, for instance, it, it could be an issue of, of unforgiveness. It could be the issue of, of addiction. It could be the issue of unfaithfulness. It could be the issue of lust. It could be the issue of lying. It could be an issue of pride. You fill in the blank. You know what it is in your particular life. But my point here is that we are all struggling. And ultimately, I want you to know, we are ultimately all struggling with the same issue. We are all struggling with temptation. And all too often we are giving into that temptation and sinning. And those habitual sins are not the way that we want to live our lives as Christians. But sadly, the pattern of our life oftentimes it seems has become that. Because there, there seems to be this habitual sin that, that just has a grip on us and we continue to fall in that particular area. The Apostle Paul knew this struggle. Paul says in Romans 7, 14 through 20, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That, I, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. There is this tug of war, there's this constant battle, Paul says, even in the life of, of a believer, even in the life of one who is wanting to walk with Christ, because we still live in a fallen world, and we still deal with temptation, and we still deal with sin. And so this continual struggle with sin has been with us since the original sin of Adam in the garden. And last week we looked at that some. We looked and we saw that Jesus is different. He's different. He's unlike the first Adam. The second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, was, was not born with a sin nature. 
And thus Jesus is able to do that which Adam was unable to do. Jesus, his complete obedience to the will of the Father was put to the test immediately after Jesus' baptism that we looked at last week. It was put to the test when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And these temptations, when we look at them, they, they seem like something only Jesus would face. But in reality, listen to me, the devil is not very creative. He's not very creative. There are really only three categories of temptation, and the devil uses them over and over and over again. And you say, well, why? Well, because they are remarkably effective in leading all of us into sin. Just three different areas that, that he uses. John tells us what those are in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, listen to him, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This morning, I want you to look with me at Matthew 4, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses, and learn from Jesus how to triumph over, over temptation and to find victory in our spiritual life. If you will, please stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word. Let's look at these first 11 verses, the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. Then was Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. This is right after his baptism. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that's almost six weeks, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. By, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and he sitteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. He said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain, and he showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee thence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him. And behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. You may be seated. Three areas. Three areas that the devil uses to tempt us, to cause us to fall, to cause us to stumble and our walk with the Lord. The first we see there in verses 3 and 4. And John refers to this 
as the lust of the flesh. The first temptation. And the first temptation was to turn stones to bread. And in this temptation, Satan questions the son's relationship with the father. Now, no doubt here, Satan had heard the father's declaration there in chapter 3, verse 17, when God the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He had heard the father declare that the son was an obedient son. He was a well-pleasing son. And now Satan calls that relationship into question. And he does so by mocking Jesus. Now now think about this. This is over five and a half weeks that Jesus has gone without food. I don't go good going five and a half hours without food. Five and a half weeks without food. I, I, I can't even imagine that. I know that there are some people who have done that, and, there, and there's, there's ways of doing that. Um, but to think about the physical condition of Jesus as he comes into this time of temptation, to think of his physical weakened state without having nutritional nourishment for five and a half weeks. I want you to think about what he had to be feeling and the condition of the, the hunger pangs of, of his body as this is going on. And, and, and here, Jesus is mocked by Satan as he basically says to him, Look at you! You're sitting here and you're starving here in the wilderness. If you were really the Son of God, why would you be starving here? Why would you be sitting here this hungry in the wilderness? Use your power, turn those stones to bread, feed yourself since you are the son of God. Do that. Meet meet that need. Now, there is no question that Jesus could have turned those stones to bread had he so desired. That's perfectly within Jesus' ability to do that. He had the power to do so. In fact, it's not a sin to want to meet a legitimate need in our life. What I mean by that is, you know, we see that Jesus fed 5,000 with, 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 with five barley loaves with two small fish. Jesus has the ability to do that. Jesus, Jesus had the ability to then, if he could do that with, with, with five barley loaves and, and two small fish, he could certainly do it with these stones. It wasn't beyond him to be able to do that. There was a legitimate need that Jesus met in a miraculous way there in the feeding of the 5,000. And it's not a sin to desire to eat, to meet the physical need of your body for nourishment. It's, it's not a sin to, to take medications for a medical condition. It's not a sin to want to exercise for your overall well-being. It's not a sin to have a social media account. It's not a sin to have a physical relationship with your spouse. Those, those are, are, are not sins. However, when we lust after any of those things, in our lives, to a place of addiction, to a place of overindulgence, to use any of those things in the wrong way, they can become sin. And so what I mean by that is is you could eat to a place of gluttony, and, and clearly gluttony is a sin. To use drugs, to use any kind of substance in a way that it, it's not created to be used, to use it as a recreational amusement, as an escape from reality, 
is a sin to exercise excessively for your own vanity or because it's become addictive in nature to you is a sin to spend time on social media to the excess of harming the real relationships and real life is a sin to exercise your sexual desires outside of your marriage relationship is a sin so Jesus understood that this was not about nutrition that's not what what Satan was getting at here For Jesus to use his power in that way at that time would have shown a lack of faith in the Father. The temptation here is for Jesus to act independently of the Father and of the Spirit. So the issue is one of lust of the flesh. The devil wants Jesus to do his own will rather than the Father's will. Christ's answer to the devil shows the condition of his heart. He would rather starve to death than to be outside of his father's will. Being in the very center of the father's will meant more to Jesus than food. It meant more to Jesus than life itself. And what a challenge that is to us. Because how easily we sell out to get our hands on the things that we lustfully desire after. How easily we give in to compromise and into sin so that we can satisfy whatever the particular lust of the flesh is at any particular moment like the foolish jews we love bread more than we love the father at times so the question comes when the lust of the flesh is come upon us when that temptation hits us how do we find victory well how did jesus find victory he found victory from the very mouth of god from god's word okay well Where do we find the word of God? Where do do we find him speaking to us? Well, we find that in the Bible. We find the very word of God in the Bible. Each and every word that he has given to us is his word. And it's, it's given to us to instruct us and to correct us and to give us the encouragement that we need. So look no further than that Bible that you have in your hands this morning. And perhaps that Bible is is on a tablet. Maybe it's on a phone. But it's the word of God. Look no further than than his word to find victory in the heat of the moment when the lust of the flesh is there. You turn to God's word and like Jesus, you will find victory. But secondly, look at verses 5 through 7. And we see the lust of the eyes. And so the second temptation that Satan uses against Jesus he says, jump from the temple. And Jesus understood this was a test of God. So here Satan tries to get Jesus to perform the miraculous apart from the will of the Father. Here Jesus is tempted to desire the things here on earth as of greater value than the will of the Father. To to put this world ahead of of the kingdom of God. So Satan took Jesus to to the pinnacle of the temple. Now, this spot was located some 450 feet high, or as tall today as a 40-story building. Think about that. I mean, that's we don't have anything quite that big here in Benton, do we? Uh, 40 stories. I mean, that, you, you think about they, there in Jerusalem. You think about the pinnacle of the temple. I mean, this this would have been far outreaching anything else in the city. This was a high, high point. 40 stories in the air. And then Satan goes about misquoting Psalm 
91, verses 11 and 12. It actually says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee. The part that is left out is, To keep thee in all thy ways. And then he goes on. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest I dash thy foot against a stone. Satan left out that phrase. He left out the phrase, to keep thee in thy ways. And so this is God's promise to protect Messiah as he carries out what? The Father's will. Because of who the Messiah is, because he knew that the Son would, would do his perfect will, the promise here is, that the Father will protect him until his time comes, meaning the time for him to ultimately give his life as a ransom payment for our sin debt. But to that point, he will protect him in all the ways, in all of his ministries, in all that he does, because that's the will of the Father. But Satan here is trying to get Jesus to step outside of the will of the Father and to work a miracle to prove that he was who he claimed to be. He was also trying to get Jesus to accept immediate fame. If he had stepped off that pinnacle, think about that, 40 stories in the air, and if he had floated to the ground, yeah, that's going to get some attention, isn't it? You're going to be instantly famous if you jump off of the, of the pinnacle of the temple and you do your greatest Mary Poppins impression and just float to the ground. People are going to take notice, and you're going to, you're going to be famous. People are going to know who you are at that point. And that's what Satan was tempting him to do. But again, Jesus responds here because of the condition of his heart, because of the time that he spent with the Father. He responds in the proper way, and his response was one of faith. Jesus is saying, it is never right, it is never right to operate contrary to God's will regardless of the outcomes. God honors obedience, not outcomes. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, where Saul is, is called to go and, and to do battle with the Amalekites and, and to uh, uh, literally annihilate them, to wipe everything out, including the cattle, uh, to leave nothing. And, and Saul decides, no, you know what, I'm going to spare the life of the king and I'm going to take the very best of the livestock and we'll offer it up as sacrifices. And Samuel comes and he says, why do I hear the sounds of livestock? And he basically tells them, you know what, God desires your obedience more than he desires these sacrifices. God desires your obedience. That's what he's looking for. Regardless of what the outcome might have been, regardless of the fact that you had a, a military victory, God was more concerned that you do, did it the way that he called you to do it, to see that you had an obedient heart. We are all susceptible to allowing our eyes to wander and thinking that, you know what, I've got a little bit better idea of how to make this work than, than God. And, and so we look around and we see things that we think that we ought to have because other people have it. And so we think about it and we say, you know what, I, I, I want what my neighbor has in their garage. That looks pretty nice and, and I want that, lust of the eyes. I want that amazing experience that I keep on seeing posted on, on social media from from my friends, and, and they keep on, on having these amazing experiences. And it seems like my husband and I and our family, we don't ever do those kinds of things. Or my wife and I, we don't ever do those things. And, and, and I, I want to be able to do those things, the, the lust of the eyes. I, I want that body that they have, and I want the, 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 the way that people look at them, I want them to look at me that way, the lust of the eyes. And all too often we fall into the trap of, of genuinely believing 
that the grass is greener on the other side. If we just had this, if we just had that, then I'd be happy. And so we begin to make compromises. Well, you know what I could do? I could, I could cheat on my taxes. I could just embezzle a little bit from my workplace, and I could get what my neighbor has, but it'll cost your integrity. Well, I could skip out on what the Lord's will is, and, and I'll do what I want to do with my free time so that I can have those experiences, so that I can post those kind of things online. But the example my kids will see is that anything and everything comes before my relationship with Christ. Or I'll do what it takes to get that body, that body that I want regardless of how much it might ultimately hurt me or hurt my family, even if it costs me my marriage, it costs me everything, I'm going to do what it takes because that's what I want. And the lust of the eyes takes us to that place. You see, God's will is always greater than my will. And so remember Moses' example in Numbers chapter 20. Verses 1 through 12. I don't know about you, but I consider Moses to be a pretty faithful guy. Uh, He he was a man that that served the Lord faithfully. But there in Numbers chapter 20, before this time, God had called Moses to get water for the people of Israel who were wandering by striking a rock. But this time in Numbers chapter 20, he tells him to speak to the rock. Well, Moses was a little frustrated with the people. I get that. Okay, as a pastor, I get that. Uh, Sometimes it can be frustrating. But in Moses' frustration, instead of speaking to the rock in order for water to come, he struck the rock. He struck it twice. And God graciously gave water because that's what the people needed. He took care of the people. But Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land because he was disobedient. He didn't do what God called him to do in the way that God called him to do it. And so when we look at that, I would rather have the blessing and the presence of God than the prosperity that can be achieved through my own human means any day. So how did Jesus find victory here? How do we find victory over the lust of the eyes? Well, Jesus compares what was offered in this world to his father. And that's how he found victory. It it was no contest when, when Jesus compared those two things of what the Father was offering and what Satan was offering. Even though what Satan was offering seemed to be, uh, you know, know, pretty attractive to the eye, Jesus knew better. Compare that for which you are so enamored with the greatness of Christ, that alluring other relationship, that friend's new house, that friend's new car, that friend's new boat, that friend's awesome vacation experience, That whatever you have your eye on, you know what what it may be. You compare it to Christ, and in comparison to Christ, it's nothing. So bring it to him and allow him to remind you of who you are in relationship to him. You are royalty. You're a child of the king. Don't give that up for the fleeting pleasures of this life. But then thirdly, look with me at verses 8 through 10. And we see the, the pride of life. The third temptation was the promise of kingdoms of this world. And here we see that Satan, as the God of this world, offers Jesus the kingdoms of this world immediately, now, in this very moment, the the, the physical reign over them. Satan is attempting to get Jesus to take the crown by bypassing the cross. And for a simple bow to the limited sovereignty of Satan, Jesus could skip 
the pain of Calvary and could have the world fall at his feet immediately. And, and apparently, Satan had that power to grant that promise. But Jesus' response shows us that he honored God once again. He reminds Satan that only God is worthy of our worship. Only God. You see, Jesus did not come to this world just for a crown. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Oh, there is a crown in his future, yes. A great crown. But for Jesus, the path to the crown led to the cross. Jesus came to this world ultimately to die for the sin of this world. And he would obtain the crown by laying down his life on the cross. And again, there is a lesson for us here. Satan would have us to take the easy, painless path. He promises us an easy path if we will just allow him to be the ruler of our lives. The pride of life is a temptation for greatness, for power, for fame, for glory, for knowledge, and superior lifestyle that we all feel the constant urge to obtain at all cost, not for God's glory, but all too often for our own, not to build his kingdom, but our own. We think that we only see this in the lives of politicians, that we'd only see that in the lives of movie stars or rock stars or military leaders. However, this is the temptation that can easily trip up what we might call good Christian people. Because we can be tempted to do good, not for the glory of God, but for our own glory. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, even in, in our Christian lives, we can be tempted to minister with an eye on our kingdom rather than his. And, and that manifests itself in the thoughts of our minds of, of how, will, how will this make people feel about me? How will this cause people to look at me? How will this promote me? Or maybe even how will this promote my church or my church's name? You know, we, we do something and, and we think, well, where's my name going to be on that? Or where's my church's name going to be on that to promote us? And that can be a slippery slope because ultimately it's not about me. It, it's, it's, it's not about what we do, but it's about the glory of God. It's about us lifting up his holy and matchless name. But if we give the devil an inch, he will become our ruler. And it is God's will that we walk in his ways and that we trust him to give us the things we desire to bring into our lives his glory. So how did Jesus find victory in the area of the pride of life? Well, it's clear. It was worship. Worship is the key to victory here. When you are tempted to lift yourself up, simply run as quickly as possible to a position of worship before the Lord. When you're tempted to want to elevate your own name or your own fame, run as quickly as possible to Him. When you are tempted towards greatness for greatness' sake, turn to God and worship and be reminded that He created us for a purpose and that purpose is, is that you might know him, that you might glorify him, and that you might enjoy him forever. That is our ultimate purpose in life. It's not to make a name for ourselves. And so we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 
and a promise that is all too often misunderstood. And he says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with temptation also give, also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So what is Jesus saying there? Is he saying you're never going to have situations in life that are bigger than you? No, absolutely not. We, face te- we, 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 don't, we don't face necessary temptation, but we face um, the trials of life that oftentimes are bigger than us, but they're not bigger than our God. And so, so we were able to find victory in those through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is speaking to here is temptation. What Paul is speaking to here is that there are three types of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to temptation. And he says that no matter what you're facing, that the Father will give you a way of escape. That he'll give you his word, that he gives you uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit within you, that you can compare whatever it is that, that, that you're, you're tempted to go after in comparison to him, that you can spend time in worship, that there is always a way of escape if you will take it. If by, the, if by the Holy Spirit's power you will take it, you will find victory. You don't have to sin. And Jesus shows us the example. And so all of us face temptation every day. None of us are immune from that. And our hope, our only hope for victory, is the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So if you desire victory, then the first question that comes this morning is, do you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that is the only place that you're going to find victory. Only in a relationship with Jesus will you have that strength. Only in Christ do you find hope in the power to be victorious in the face of temptation. But perhaps this morning you feel overwhelmed with the lust of the flesh or, or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Are you using the tools Christ has given you to be victorious in him? Are you meditating on God's word so that you can see in comparison how Christ is so much greater? Are you committed to regular times of worship both corporate and private, where you're lifting up his name rather than your own and being reminded that anything of lasting worth in this life is accredited to him. Are are you spending that time with him? Listen, some of us are stumbling on a daily basis and we're failing badly because we are not equipping ourselves with the word of God. We're not preparing ourselves for what we know we're going to face on a regular basis. And we say, well, I don't have time. I don't have enough time on a daily basis to spend time in God's Word. I don't have enough time on a daily basis to spend time in prayer. I don't have enough time on a daily basis to spend some personal time of worship. Listen to me. If you want to find victory, you don't have time not to do those things. You must reprioritize what is important if Christ is to truly be Lord of your life you got to let go of some of the things that have lordship right now, chiefly yourself, and give it over to him. So this morning, maybe you need to come to him for the very first time and say, yes, Jesus, I need a relationship with you. Maybe you need to come this morning just come to this altar and, and just lay down some things that, that you're struggling with. Maybe you need to pray for a loved one that's struggling and say, God, help me to, help me to encourage them, help me to disciple them so that they can find victory as well. Maybe you need to join this church family. What's it calling you to this morning? How can you be obedient in the way that God has called you to? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today. 
And Lord, we are so thankful for your word. So thankful for the example that you have given to us, even in this area of temptation, that Lord, you didn't just come and live in an ivory tower, but you came and you lived among us. And you experienced the, the trials and the temptations that we experienced, but you didn't sin. You show us how to have victory. And so this morning, I pray, if there's even one today that doesn't yet know you as Savior and Lord, that they would come and they'd say yes to you. If there's folks that are struggling, that they'd come and lay it down at the foot of the altar. If there's moms and dads, husbands, wives, friends, and they're so heartbroken over the condition of a loved one, I pray that they'd come and they'd intercede on their behalf today. Some may need to call this their church home and, and, and make that decision today publicly. Whatever the needs may be, Lord, I pray that you might help us to be obedient to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and